I thank you, Lord, uh, for music, Lord. I thank you for our worship team. I thank you, Lord, for our people in the sound, people watching the kids, the greeters, the ushers. I thank you so much for, I pray, I thank you for the board, Lord, our servants council, Lord. I thank you for, for all that are called to serve and to minister, Lord. We give you praise and glory. And for all my other brothers and sisters here, I thank you for their commitment to your church, Lord. We just thank you for this day. I pray, Lord, that this message will be pleasing to you, Lord, that you anoint me through your Holy Spirit to bring your word uh, for your glory and your honor. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we journey through um, looking at end-time prophecy as it relates to today, modern times, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, from the book of Amos, and we're going to be looking at uh, spiritual famine that's hitting our land that Amos prophesied about thousands of years ago. And it is amazing to how you see how these prophecies really connect. And with, with Amos, I might say, with, with, he was a, a prophet of his day, and he prophesied judgment not only for the future, but also for the present with Israel, had fallen so far away from God, and God used him through various visions to try to bring those people back. And so when you look at Amos, you're looking at, at the prophecies were for then and also for you know, present time and also had future time components. So, so when we talk about Amos, that's pretty much the background of, of this man and who God called him uh, to really to proclaim to the Jews. It's amazing, isn't it, that God gives these prophets these visions and these words and... More often than that, they didn't have a clue what it meant for future time. But God did, and we do now. So it is amazing how you follow biblical history and biblical prophecy of end times, how all these prophecies really are falling into place. We're seeing that more and more uh, today. What is truth, Pilate asked at Jesus' trial? You know, for, for even in Pilate's day, Truth was seen as relative. Modern thought today says truth is relative. Truth is dependent on one's worldview. We all have a worldview. If you follow philosophy, we all have worldviews. And truth is worldview. Truth is in education in gender, in race, etc. So in today's world, and this is not only today, throughout really years and years and years, hundreds of years, that truth has become relative. There's no absolute truth. That's what people say. There's no absolute truth. And when you stop and think about our world today, and that really is true for so many people. You just look at the religious communities. They say, well, truth is what right for you, Christian. That's your path to heaven. But our path, I'm a Muslim. This is my path to God. Another religion, this is my path to God. 
So you cannot say that your path is the right way because there are a variety of paths to God. And that goes beyond just religion. It's relative. Church is relative to so many people and also young people. More and more, I I thank the Lord, I see the young people here because more and more young people are drifting away from God. That is a fact. And I've heard for many, many years, people say, oh my goodness, isn't this wonderful? We're getting so many young people coming into the church. What a great future for the church. That's really true. However, we are seeing that not to be true in today's world, in today's church. Less young people are going to church. So, out of that backdrop, Jesus answered the question about truth. When Jesus answered the question about truth, we're going to look at John 14:6, And there are other numerous passages where Jesus talks about truth. But today we're just going to look at John 14, 6. And Jesus said, they're very familiar to all of us. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made it very clear when he said, I am the way. I am the way. He's the only way to life with God. Jesus reveals truth. He reveals who God is. Therefore, to know Jesus is to know God. Have you ever wondered why society seems to be, so much of society seems to be kilter? Is that just me? Do you ever wonder that? Why so many are vulnerable, confused, mentally strained, and thirsting for answers to life? They're starving. People are starving for real truth. They're starving for real hope. They're starving for real peace. They're starving for real purpose. And they're starving for answers to life. Even though people aren't in the pews or whatever, they're wandering out there, they're starving for something more than what society, what humanity is giving them. That's built in us. Because we're all created in the image of God. So God has placed within us that that something, sometimes we can't explain, or the outsider, the non-Christian, they can't understand what it is, but they're searching for more and more and more. And the more stuff they have, the more they realize, that does not give me lasting satisfaction. So Jesus proclaimed, I am the way. There's no other way to the Father except through who? Jesus Christ. You know that. You know that. But there's a boatload of people out there that don't know that. That we need to pray them in the church. Somehow keep praying and praying for them. So my first thought this morning is running on spiritual emptiness. And again, we're going to be looking at Amos um, chapter 8, verses 11 through 12. What a great book. I encourage you to read Amos. But all, he's got all sorts of vision of the locusts and other things. It's amazing how God used this man in such a profound way. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, 
but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men were staggered from sea to sea and wandered from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Moses, a herdsman, was called by God to prophesy that in the last days there will be a giant spiritual void. Now, Israel had already turned away from God, and that was his emphasis in his day. He was those people that were following idols. They were neglecting the poor. Their, their religion that was superficial. Everything was wrong with that society. Amos comes along, and he's, and he's, uh, he's prophesying judgment upon them. And these are all prophecies of judgment for them to, to turn to God. And what did they do? They hated him. They wanted to get rid of him. So they tried and tried and tried, even the, the priest, and, but he hung in there with God and would not allow that to happen. That is what happened when people really, so many really seek to proclaim God and his truth. But I'm just wanna, I just want to say this. Israel had turned away from God. Now think about this. So much of the world today is experiencing a a spiritual famine. Why? Because they're turning away from God. Verse 12. Men were staggered from sea to sea and wandered from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Having Bibles is not a problem. We have access to more Bibles, more translations than at any point in our history. Amen? We have them. Right now, some of you are probably on your, on, when we have a scripture, whatever, you write on your, what, smartphones? Is that what you call them? Smartphones? You know, you have smartphones, you have the laptops. So it's interesting when we have prayer on Wednesday night, Jan gives us all uh, scriptures to read. And I think we're probably the only ones in the group that we use the Bible. We, I mean, well, you're using the Bible, excuse me. I wanna, I'm not saying to you, you're pagans. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is we're the only ones we go back to. We're just, yeah, the book. But the book is also in the apps, amen? And so, so, that's, so we have all this. We have no excuse. We have no excuse in this period of time that we live in. We have no excuse. We can't say one day to God, oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know you were. You've got to be kidding me. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So, so we have plenty of Bibles. Amos was talking about a lack of hunger for God's word and his truth. So Amos warned those who have rejected or ignored God's word when they have had every opportunity to read it, hear it. But God will one day withdraw his word from them. Judgment. Point in time when God's going to say, that's it. You've had every opportunity. God is so gracious. He's so loving and kind. He does give us all these opportunities. But time is running out. Time is running out. 
I don't hear an amen. There we go. Okay, number two, the time is here. How about that? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and I want to add verse 7 to this passage. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Now, I want to stop there. We talked about this. Now, we've meaning what he's talking about here is God is not against people making money. God is not against wealthy people. But if, if, if what he's against is this, if your money and your wealth is your God, that's when God has a problem. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Children, kids, be good to your parents. God loves that. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, have nothing to do with them. Then he says in verse 7, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. That is a mouthful. Verses 1 through 5 offer several reasons why people will go, will go through troubled times, d- distorted values of people around us and among us. There'll be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Do we see all of this today? We see it everywhere. Now, we're not judging. I'm not judging heaven and hell with people that aren't here in church. But Jesus said, look at the signs. That's all. Don't judge. Just look at at the signs. Look at the warning signs. The judgment is coming. If my people don't turn, judgment will surely come. Not my words, but God's words. Judgment will come. Having a form, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying his power. Now, hear what I'm saying. I don't want you people to think that, boy, this guy, he just picks on all these churches. We're not, we are not perfect. We know that. Amen? We know that we are sinners. The more we are in Christ, we, know, we all know that we are sinners. That's why we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. But having said all of that, This is exactly why there is very little life-changing vitality and power in so many churches today. They go through the motions, they give their money, you know, they might be involved in this this part of that, maybe with Sunday school, whatever the case might be, might serve on a board, whatever, but without making real faith commitments. Many are looking in all the wrong places for lasting fulfillment. You're here, not to please me. You're here to worship your God and to grow in him and take the truths God's given you and pass them on to someone else. This is not a popularity contest. This is not about me, 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 or you, you, you. It's about God, 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 and how God wants to use us in so many different ways. So many people are looking in for wrong places for lasting fulfillment, 
for joy, for contentment, meaning they are playing church rather than honestly seeking the knowledge and personal assurance of knowing God. That's what Amos was talking about all those years ago. And the same thing is happening today, only in today's world, we are really without excuses because back then they didn't have the apps. They didn't have the cell phones, the smartphones. They didn't have the computers. They just had it passed from word of mouth. You shared it through oral tradition. So we today, we have absolutely zero excuse for not knowing God. None of us. None of us would be able to stand before the Lord and say, in this room, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know what God's going to say? If, if, any, if you say that, he say, what about the first day of Advent back in 2021? Didn't that pastor and the people, the, and, 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 and Rudy and Kathy presenting the Advent, did not they, and the, and the scriptures talk about Jesus being born? You have no excuse. God loves us, but he's also justice. He's also just and righteous, and his will will be done regardless of our situation. It will be done. Amen? Okay, that was a weak amen, but it's there. Okay. Ver- number three, David's thirst quencher. Now, listen to this. Uh, thought number three, David's thirst quencher. I want you to really get the feel of David, King David, and how much he loved his God. I mean, to me, I mean, here we had the, first, the greatest king of Israel. He had so many other things in his life that could have drawn him away from God. Was he perfect? We know he wasn't, that he sinned. But we also know this, that he loved his Lord, his God, with all his heart. He thirsted for God. So let's look at Psalm 63, 1 and 2. We're going to do 63, 1 and 2, and then 3 and 4. O God, David said, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. As David called out to God, he also confessed his faith. He said in verse 1 again, my soul thirsts for you. David put his whole self into his spiritual search. His passion was being dependent on God. David's thirst for life and his thirst for God is seen in the context of really this verse, last, latter part of this verse, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David may have been on some military campaign. He might have been in the desert. He might have been in the wilderness. But the real place was in his heart. No matter where he was, the real place was in his heart. No matter where we are or what we're doing in this life, it doesn't matter. God not only wants to speak into our minds, he wants to speak into our hearts. That is the heart of worship, is the heart. Is the heart. God wants our hearts. That's what he wants. God had David's heart. 
David loved God so, so much, and it comes out in his words that I thirst for you. My soul thirsts for you. I was, uh, I think a good example of that today is talking with Becca. And Becca, I'm just going to share a little bit from my understanding. I don't want to give, you know, I don't want to embarrass her or whatever. But this really speaks to what I'm talking about today. That Becca was having fellowship with her mom. And God had given her some words. And, and she, she wrote a song writing some lyrics of those words, right? And it's, it moved her to tears. That's David. I think Becca can understand David. I felt that. I felt it in my heart for my God. You know, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And many of you here have experienced that. Isn't that wonderful? When you really experience the love of God, you really feel and experience his love, his power, his grace, and his mercy. That's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Verse 2, David said, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory, your power and glory. David remembered where his spiritual thirst had been quenched. And where? In the sanctuary. Depending on your translation, the holy place, the tabernacle. Our spiritual thirst should be quenched in the church with our Christian friends, our personal relationships, devotions, experiencing his power and glory in everyday life. That is our sanctuary. That's where we are today to do. God is everywhere. God isn't just. He's not just in church. But we need to take what we learn in church and carry it with us in everyday life. Amen? All right. Let me ask you, so why do I have to, have to initiate the amen? Now, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Number four, okay, this heart of mine. Psalm 63, 3 through 4. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. How many people get nervous in church when they see somebody lifting up their hands in, in praise? That happens in some churches. They get uncomfortable when they see the hands go up. Then suddenly, see the hands go up, then you're labeled. You must be a charismatic. You can't necessarily be a Southern Baptist because eh, that doesn't work. But David was the king. He had all the power in the world. This guy had more things going for him, and yet he talks about raising his hands in praise and prayer. David said, to be loved by God really is better than life. To be loved by God is when we really begin to live because God gives life a deeper meaning and purpose. When Christ is in your heart, and church, you know this. Those who have experienced Jesus Christ, you know that God gives us a deeper meaning and purpose as we trust in him. That's it. 
That's what church is. That's what faith to me is all about. There we go. (laughs) David responded to God's love in verse 4. And here I really want to hone in on this. He said, I will praise you as long as I live. Means to show appreciation, gratitude to God. Lifting our hands in praise releases God's power and presence in us. At least it does for me when I'm praising, when I'm in church and I hear the worship and I'm lifting up my my arm, my hands in praise. I feel God's power and presence overwhelming me, overcoming me. That's where David's heart was. And that's where he received uh, spiritual satisfaction. How about you? Where is your heart this morning? Where has your heart been all week? There is, there is a spiritual famine in America and scripture is missing in action. So often I feel that I'm really preaching to the choir. So many of you are so strong in your faith and have such a great witness. So what I'm going to share with you that you've heard before, but sometimes we just need to hear it again to reinforce. Maybe we're just having a really bad day or bad week, and you just you know these things, but it might give you just an extra boost. And that's why I love to hear testimony. I love to hear yours because that just enriches me. Since I'm the pastor, and you've heard a lot of my story off and on through the years, so I'm not trying to bore you. I'm not trying to uh, impress you. I'm trying to, I'm going to share with you that I'm a man who makes mistakes. Even as a Christian, when I became a Christian, I made a lot of mistakes. And I'm still going to make them because I'm not perfect. I'm setting that up. Because we need, we mean all of us, we need to find our hunger for Jesus. For those of you who have it, we praise God for that. So I'm just affirming your hunger for Jesus. When I became a Christian... I started my hunger for Jesus and for his word. I couldn't put his word down. I'd read it, read, reread it, and read this and have all these sorts of questions. That as my Christian walk started with Christ, then I saw him moving through my life and my life experiences in those early years. The ups and downs, every aspect of my life in the good times, the hard times, I was hanging on to his word. I was just hanging in there. Warts and all, I was hanging in there. Having a daughter diagnosed with terminal cancer. 
What we do, we're not perfect. We're just saved. We're just like everyone else. We went right to God, right to the Word. We hung on the Word. We, we tried to live the Word. And regardless what happened through thick and thin, that's what we did. I shared with you the night, this something will always be with me, this part, for as long as I'm on this earth, to have the privilege of being with my daughter when she was dying on the, her last night on this earth. It was just one-on-one. -on -one. My daughter and the old man. Back in then, I was a young man. And I'll always remember this. Being in that room in Children's Hospital. And she was in her bed, very restless. And I was, had a chair right next to her, her bed. And I had a Bible in my lap. And I opened it up, I believe it was John's Gospel. And I started reading through John. Occasionally look up, occasionally meet a need that she had or whatever. Say a couple words, but then I kept reading and reading all night long. Watch the sun come up in the morning, reading the word of God. You know why? I was scared. I was scared. I was confused. I was hurting so bad. And every time I'd look at her, I realized that probably tomorrow she's not going to be here. In my tears and my questions and my anger, I didn't turn away from God. I turned to God. I kept hanging in there and said, God, give me something. Give me something. Give me something. I need something now. I need it. And he supplied all of those needs that I had. And from that point on, I have to stop because of time or whatever. But, but from, that, from those days back then up to this point, I can tell you this, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the more I'm in the faith, the more I realize how imperfect I am. But the more I realize this, that I never lost my hunger for God. I've been walking in the faith for longer than, than many of you were born, over 40-plus years, and I've never lost my hunger for God. Do I have dry periods? Yes. But hear what I'm saying. I never lost my hunger for God. For me, God and the Bible is all I need to exist and to feel, find joy. That's, I was, I was in, you can say I was forced into that, but I was. And God never let me down. So much of our world today has lost its hunger for God. 
has lost their hunger for God. And they're seeking for something in this world that the world cannot give them. No matter what the world tells us, when you have that hunger, it will never leave us. It will never leave you. God loves you so much. He loves you so, 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 so much. And when I think of Advent, and I thank you so much for Advent, it means a lot to me. Advent does because it starts getting me into the mood of Christmas and what it's all about. Christmas reminds us that Jesus Christ is our only hope. When I say only, I need to probably put brackets around that because that's all we need is Jesus. Jesus no matter where you are, I'm encouraging all my brothers and sisters here today, no matter where you are, what you're going through, your hard times, whatever it is, I know you're walking with the Lord. I'm just encouraging you to keep it up. Keep walking with him. One step at a time, keep walking with him. And he will bless you. He will bless you. He will bless you abundantly. The time has come. We're here. People are moving away from the Lord. And one day God's going to say, that's it. I'm going to turn my word away from you because you're not, you're not receiving it. But praise God, the good news is we have received it. We are the good guys, so to speak. All of them are good guys, but we have turned to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know how that feels. You know how that feels. Never let go. Never let go. No matter what you're going through, never, ever let go. That's when you need him the most. When you are just devastated in your life and you feel hopeless, never let go. And he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Lord, I praise you and thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and I pray for a brother or sister here today that just needs a picker-upper, Lord. They just need to feel you in a very special way in their lives. I pray you'll do that for them, Lord, that they will turn to you, Lord Jesus, and you'll minister to them through your word, through prayer, through a, a Christian friend, through church, whatever the case might be, Lord, that they will have that moment when they know, Lord, that you are still with them, that you love them, you'll never forsake them, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. Oh, God, what a privilege it is we have. So we are thankful and we rejoice that we are not in a spiritual famine, but we are also burdened and pray for those that, Lord, have just moved away from you, that somehow you would touch them. You might use us to minister to those that have walked. 
Oh God, help us to be strong. Help us to be bold. And I pray that this Christmas will remind us of that baby born in that manger would grow up to be the Savior of the world. For that, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us?